Father, we just ask again that your presence will be with us, that we will be able to glorify you by what we learn here. And Lord, as we notice people coming under conviction, we ask that you will give us the courage to draw them back to your word so that they can be saved. In your name we pray, amen. I was in Sheridan, Oregon. We had, uh, we're doing an evangelistic meeting, and a man comes to church just during the evangelistic meeting. He comes to church, hasn't been to church for 40 years. 40 years prior to that, Jenny, he'd married a Catholic, and his family had disowned him, completely disowned him because he married a Catholic. So he, he decided, forget the church, forget God, forget everything, hadn't been to church for 40 years just comes random. On that day, we make an, a passionate appeal for baptism, and this man stands up to be rebaptized. <clears throat> we clear him for baptism. The Sabbath that he's, he, he's baptized on a Sabbath, and then that Monday, the pastor of the church and I go to visit with him. Ron Werner is the pastor's name out in Sheridan, Oregon. You won't find a better pianist in the world. That guy can just play out of, it's out of this world. So we go to visit this gentleman that has just been baptized, and I'm sitting on a couch over here, and uh, he's sitting here, and his wife is sitting over there, and the pastor is, of course, sitting beside me, and, and I just said, you know, brother, I just want to praise the Lord for the decision that you made and that you were baptized, and, and uh, then I looked at his wife. Her name was Marisol, and I said, Marisol, which Sabbath would you like to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? And she said, you think I need to be rebaptized? What would you have said? What would you have said? You know this lady has known about the Sabbath for 40 years. She's known about not drinking. She's known about not smoking. Of course, she doesn't do any of that anymore. What would you have said to that lady? Very good. I wanted to say, absolutely, you need to be rebaptized. But right then, God just impressed me so much that I never said anything about baptism. All I did was ask her when she would like to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And so I said, Marisol, did you hear somebody say something about baptism? And she got this real solemn look on her face. And she looked at me and said, no. I said, I didn't say it, did I? No. Did pastor say it? No. Did your husband say it? No. So who do you think said it? She said, and she started to get contemplative, and then she just blurted out again, you think I need to be rebaptized? I know drinking. I know smoking. He beating me. He beating the children. He needs to be rebaptized. I don't need to be baptized. And I said, Marisol, did I say anything about baptism? She said, no. I said, who do you think said something about baptism? She said, the Lord. I said, I think so. She said, but I've been keeping, I've been 
doing everything God has asked me to do? And I said, Marisol, get your Bible out. So she got her Bible out, and I said, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of James. So this is what we did, Steve. We went right to James. Right after Hebrews, we have James. And I got up from where I was sitting, and I went over to where she was sitting, and I sat down beside her, and I hand, she had her Bible, and I had my Bible. I said, Marisol, read for me James chapter 2, verse 10. And Veronica, can you read that for us? And at that point, she just began to weep. She began to cry, and she said, Oh, Pastor, I have known about the Sabbath for so long, but I have never kept it. And I said, Marisol, which Sabbath would you like to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? This Sabbath or the next? She said, I think I want to be baptized the next Sabbath. I never once mentioned baptism. Many times when people are under conviction and they want to argue with us, we just want to put up our hands and we just want to, we want to smack them with this text or smack them with that text. When if we start doing that, we'll find out later that we lose all of the power that was working on that person's heart. There is a key to gaining a decision when it comes to giving a Bible study or preaching an evangelistic meeting or preaching a sermon on Sabbath. You never, ever, ever give a Bible study or preach a sermon or preach an evangelistic meeting sermon without giving an appeal. If you leave off the appeal, this, this is not your high school or college speech class where you give an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. You never have a conclusion in a Bible study. You have an appeal. And that appeal has to worm its way into someone's heart. And when you're appealing to people, they start showing different signs of conviction. So let's talk a little bit about the key to gaining a decision. The key to gaining a decision is called conviction. Now, conviction... In conviction, you have positive indicators of conviction and negative indicators of conviction. We were doing an evangelistic meeting in Mount Tabor, Oregon. There's this, um, the pastor there told me, he said, listen, you can't preach an evangelistic meeting on jewelry in my church. I said, what? He said, you can't preach an evangelistic meeting on jewelry in my church. I said, listen, pastor, with all due respect, you're not the one that pays my salary. And you guys asked me to come here and to be an evangelist for this meeting. So I'm going to preach whatever the Lord impresses me to preach. He says, well, well, you can't preach on the wedding band. I said, I'll tell you what, Pastor. I'm going to preach on what the Bible says on jewelry. And if, if you want to kick me out and you want to explain to everybody exactly why I'm not here to preach tonight, you're more than welcome to do that. And he said, he said, well, you're going to lose my members for me. You're going to lose them. My members are going to leave the church. And uh, the church there was a very, very, it was, it was a very liberal church, if you can use that terminology. And so I got up to preach that night. And, man, I just went into that sermon with just fear and trembling, praying my heart out, 
and there was a, uh, w when we were all finished, you know, you're standing at the back shaking the hands with the people as they're leaving, and this church member stayed until everybody was gone, and she had big old ruby rings, big old brooches, huge earrings, stones. They weren't just uh, uh, silver or gold things. They're big, huge stones, very gaudy jewelry, very expensive jewelry. And when everybody was gone, she looks around. She looks at me and she said, you preached that just for me, didn't you? I said, is that the way it felt? She said, yeah. I said, you know, there were lots of people in here tonight that had jewelry on. She said, there were? I said, yeah. She said, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, there were lots of people here tonight with jewelry on. But I'm so glad that God made it feel as though that message were just for you. Oh, yeah, that's the way it felt. She said, now I've just got to pray about what I'm going to do. I said, I tell you what, I too will pray that God gives you the courage to do what he has shown you to do. She says, yeah, I'm going to go home and pray about it. I said, will you pray, sister, and I'll be praying. The next night she comes to the evangelistic meeting. All of her jewelry is still on. She waits till everybody else is gone. She comes to the back. She looks around to the left and the right. She looks at me and she says, well, you can see I still haven't done what God asked me to do. I said, well, at least you know that it's God asking you to do it. The next night she came to the evangelistic meeting, not one stitch of jewelry on. A positive indicator of conviction. We were doing Bible studies with a man in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Heights Church. We had, uh, they had sent out a bunch of Bible study interest cards. We were following up those Bible study interest cards. His name was Joe. We would study with Joe at 1 o'clock on Tuesday afternoons. Joe loved studying the Bible. He ate it up. He wanted to study. I never even asked him if he wanted to join the church. By study number four, he's, he's asking me, what church do you go to? I want to come to your church. I want to be a member of your church. I love the stuff that we're going over. He was responding positively to the conviction from the Bible studies that we were doing. I go back over there. On a, on a Tuesday, and this is after. He, he had kept begging me, Scott, leave me some more material. Leave me some material so that I can study it in between the times we study. And so I'd been giving him one or two extra Bible study guides to go over. Well, I get there on a Tuesday afternoon. It's 1 o'clock. His car's in the parking lot. His, the sliding glass door on his, his apartment is open. I know he's home. His cat is outside. So I knock on the door. Steve, there's no answer. I knock on the door again. And when I knock on a door, I knock hard. I'm not just a... I knock. No answer. I knew, Veronica, that he was in that apartment. So for five minutes, I looked at my watch. Every 30 seconds, I banged on the door seven times. At the end of five minutes, this guy just flings the door open. He says, what do you want? I said, what do you mean? What do I want? He said, man, I don't ever want to see you again. 
I don't want to join your church. I don't want you to study the Bible with me. Just get out of here and leave me alone. And then he started to slam the door. And Danielle, I've done something that I've never done since then. I put my foot in the door. Now this guy collected swords. There were probably 25 swords hanging up in his living room. And, and I don't know what possessed me to put my foot in that door other than the Lord picked it up and put it there because I never would have put it there myself. And then when the door hit my foot, I was like, well, I got to say something, Lord. What am I going to say? And I said, Joe, you owe me an explanation. He said, an explanation for what? I said, because you've wanted to study the Bible with me ever since you sent that Bible study card in. You've loved studying the Bible with me. And now you're upset? What in the world is happening? You owe me that before I leave. He said, well, get in here. And I'm like, oh, mercy. So I prayed, and I went in. I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let me die in here. Please. I go inside, and he said, it's that Bible study you left me. I said, that Bible study I left you? What Bible study did I leave you? He said, it's the one that's green, and there's a guy that's pouring water into a gas tank of the car. And uh, I said, well, Joe, where's that Bible study at? I just went right into his, his mood. Where in the world is that Bible study at? We've got to find that Bible study. He says, I know that Bible study's in the house. I said, we've got to find that Bible study. And so he's just looking all over the place in the kitchen, looking through the garbage, and I see this, this big ball of green paper over there in the corner. And I said, Joe! Is that the Bible study? That's the Bible study. He goes over, he picks it up, he, he smooths it out. And, you know, he's got a very big Buddha, so he smoothed it, smoothed it out on his Buddha. And he said, this Bible study. I said, Joe, what did this Bible study say to you? And every morning, Joe would roll two packs of cigarettes. He would roll two packs of cigarettes, and almost every day when he came home from work, he would eat... Uh, shrimp and he said this Bible study told me that I couldn't eat shrimp anymore I said show me he opens it up and he points to it right there and I said well Joe we need to look that up in the Bible he said I've already looked it up in the Bible I said well let's look it up in the Bible again <laughs> and so we look it up Leviticus chapter 11 and we read the part about it having to have fins and scales. And I said, Joe, did that Bible study tell you it was wrong? Or did the Bible tell you it was wrong? He got real soft. He was under conviction. That's why I didn't want to answer the door, because he was convicted. And, you know, just a couple of moments of awkward silence went by, and then he said, and that Bible study told me that I couldn't smoke. I said, show me where it said that. So he turns in the Bible study, and it's, it says that we need to go to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 40, 31. Whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I said, Joe. He said, you don't even have to tell me. I know what you're going to say. I said, so Joe, who are you mad at? He said, well, I'm trying to be mad at you. I said, but, but who are you mad at? 
He said, evidently, I'm mad at the guy that wrote the Bible. I said, Joe, who are you mad at? He said, I'm mad at God. I said, well, don't treat me like a piece of dirt because you're mad at God. He said, he said, listen, man, I've been rolling cigarettes for 20 years. I've been eating shrimp every day of my life for the past 20 years. And I'm not willing to give it up. I'm just not willing to give it up. I wish I had a better ending for that story with Joe. But I don't think the last chapter has been written. There are positive indicators of conviction and negative indicators of conviction, but all of it is a sign of conviction. If somebody is being negative and they're being, uh, uh, I've got some signs of conviction here. Let's just keep going here. Conviction is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. Conviction is the voice of God speaking to your conscience. Have you ever been convicted before? You ever done something you knew was wrong and the Spirit of God is just convicting you? And you, you, you lay in bed and you toss and you turn. You wake up in the morning, your gut just feels bad because you know you're, you're not following. Has that ever happened to you, Steve? It's not a comfortable situation, is it? We've all been under conviction. And we have all responded positively at times and negatively at times. But weren't you grateful that you were under conviction? Weren't you grateful that there was somebody there that you could talk to about it? When somebody is under conviction and they're showing a negative sign of conviction, Danielle, don't run from them. Charge them. Run after them. Don't hunt them, Steve. Don't hunt them. But go get them. Conviction is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. Now let's go to John chapter 3, verse 8. You know, in John chapter 3, what's happening in John chapter 3? Does anybody remember? You're going to go read the title. Oh, gotcha, didn't I, Veronica? That's right. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking Jesus how a man can be born again when he's old after Jesus said that in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Well, Nicodemus is, is obviously looking at the external miracles of Christ, but Jesus is talking about the greatest miracle of all, and that's called conversion. And in verse 8, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Danielle, have you ever seen the wind? No. Jim, you ever seen the wind? No? Fell for that once. You won't fall for it twice? You fell for that once, but you won't fall for it twice. Veronica, have you ever seen the wind? You've seen the effects of the wind, haven't you? But you've never seen the wind. Now, if, uh, if the wind is blowing and the tree is... Mo- or if, if you look out the window and a tree is moving like this, what do you assume? Is that a safe assumption? Is it safe? It's a safe assumption. You look out there and the tree is going like this. And leaves are flying off. It is a safe assumption to say that the wind is blowing outside. You may not feel it in here, but it's blowing outside. So when you are giving Bible studies on Aida, when you're giving Bible studies to someone, you are watching for the signs of the Spirit of God 
moving or blowing on that person's heart. People do weird things when they're under conviction. They act different. They talk different. They move different. Somebody that has been looking you in the eyes no longer looks you in the eyes. Somebody who had been wanting to study more and more and more no longer wants to study. Look at these signs of conviction. Some positive signs. Joy. Sharing with others. Personal application. Tears. They just can't stay away from learning more and more of the truth. Their face lights up. They become very friendly. They begin to ask questions. Negative indicators of conviction. They get sad. They reject what other people are sharing with them. They want to argue. By the way, when you're giving Bible studies, you need to know something. Does anybody know what DNA stands for? DNA? Well, what is the medical one? That's right. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Every one of us have DNA, don't we? So we can't forget this. But when you're giving Bible studies, Steve, it doesn't mean deoxyribonucleic acid. This is just the, 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 the acronym to help you remember that when you're giving Bible studies, do not do not argue. Do not argue. Somebody gets upset with you, your natural tendency is just going to be getting those boxing gloves on and we just want to give them the one-two and knock them out with a couple of verses and then send them on their happy little way. Do not argue. Don't argue. You lose all of the force of the Holy Spirit when you begin to argue with somebody. So people, people come under conviction. Some people will, will be crying tears of sadness. They'll avoid you. They'll get angry. They're reluctant to talk to you anymore. They start asking or start objecting to things. By the way, when you give a Bible study to someone and you think that they're avoiding you, you want to make sure that you place yourself in their path so that they have to see you. Because you are a reminder of what God has asked that person to do. You know what it's like when somebody tells you something after a Bible study or, and, and you know that you're in the wrong? You really don't want to be around that person, do you? You don't because you're uncomfortable, because you know you're wrong. So when somebody's under conviction, you want to make sure that you get as close to that person as you can get to them. There are some other uh, signs of conviction, other signs of conviction. This is from Desire of Ages, page 306. While those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin war where? Within themselves. So people that yield to the Holy Spirit begin to war where? On the inside. They begin to argue with themselves. Those who cling to sin and war those who cling to sin war against the truth and its representatives. Those who cling to sin war against the truth and you as the person bringing the truth to them. That's why Joe didn't want to answer the door anymore. 
We were given Bible studies. The first time I went to give a Bible study to a lady named Patricia O'Neill. We go into her house. She lives in a single, uh, single whip mobile home. And she says to me, I don't want you to come study the Bible with me so that I will join your church. I said, I'm not studying the Bible with you so that you will join my church. She said, really? I said, really? I said, I don't care what church you join. I just want you to join a church that's teaching the Bible. She said, well, I want to join a church that's teaching the Bible. I said, praise the Lord. Let's study the Bible together. So we study the Bible, <clears throat> and long before we ever get to the topic of baptism, she says, you know, I think I want to join your church. <laughs> now, when that lady, when I came over to her house, and she said to me, I'm not going to join your church, that lady was under conviction. Fine. Let the Lord handle it, because I, was, I wasn't there when the Lord told her that she needed to join my church. So let the Lord convict her while she's sleeping, while she's washing the dishes, while she's doing her laundry. Let the Lord do it. And so we start studying with her. We studied with her for about seven months. And she said to me, she said to me, you know, I, 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 do want to, uh, I do want to join your church, but I don't want to do that whole baptism thing. I said, well, hey, listen, you know, we could do it by profession of faith because she'd been baptized by immersion before. She said, you know, I, I'd like to do that. I said, okay, that's no problem. We can do that. So we set a date up to do that. Two weeks before that, when I'm over at her house studying, she says, you know, you know how I told you I didn't want to be baptized, but I wanted to join by profession of faith? I said, yeah, I, I remember that, Patricia. She said, I think I've changed my mind. And I thought, oh, great. She didn't even want to join the church anymore. And, and, and I says, okay, so what did you change your mind about? She said, I think I want to be baptized instead. I said, well, praise the Lord. We can certainly arrange that. She said, but I don't want to have to get up front and you read those 13 vows, those things you read every time somebody else is baptized. I said, that's no problem. You can sit on the front row, and I'll just ask you the questions while you're sitting down. Okay, I think I'd like that. Two days before she's baptized, to go over to have the last Bible study with her, just to make sure that she's that she knows she needs to bring a change of underclothes, that she needs to wear a short and a colored T-shirt underneath her, her baptismal robe. And, and she says, you know how I told you I didn't want to have those 13 things read? I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, well, I think I'll stand up there with you. I said, okay, perfect. God will do the convicting if we refuse to argue with people. Don't argue with them. It's not going to do you any good to argue with people. You just present the truth and let God work on the heart and God will change them. But you do have to make pointed appeals at the end of your Bible studies. Did we talk about earlier the clear and set principle? We did, right? Getting decisions as we go along the way. The whole time we're giving a Bible study, we're asking them, is this clear? And then we build that foundation, right? We build those, the foundation of, is this clear? Yes, that's clear. So then you go to the next point. Never go faster than the slowest sheep can walk or the slowest lamb can go. You're not in a rush. God's in a rush. You want to share Bible truth with those people. God's the one that wants to get them in the kingdom faster than we can even think about getting them in the kingdom. So we just share Bible truth with people, and eventually somebody's going to say to you, Onaida, they're going to say, 
you know, I'll, I'm, I'm ready to join the church. And when somebody says that to me, my little antenna goes. I mean, I don't, I don't make people wait when they say I want to join the church. My antenna just goes crazy. And so I say, well, hey, look, let's make an appointment. And if I've been studying with these people on a weekly basis, I'll just say, when I come over next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring what I call a profession of faith paper. And it just contains all of the information of the vows that you're making to Christ, the promises that you are making to Christ, because it would be kind of silly, Danielle, to get married to somebody that you didn't know, wouldn't it? So what we're going to do is we're just going to make sure that you know the things that God wants you to know prior to you getting married to God. Okay, okay, let's do that. So you go over there and you say, all right, I'm going to read the first one. You read the next one. Then I'll read the third one. And we'll go through this clearing card. And you tell me which one of these uh, things that we're reading are unclear. And so we'll put a circle around the ones that are unclear. And then when we're finished, however many items are unclear, your baptism will be that many weeks off because we're going to do one of these things per week. And so God will convict that person to say, hey, I want to be baptized or I want to join the church. How do I go about doing that? God will do that. It's very amazing when you're studying the Bible with people, they will say that to you. I want to join your church. I love what you're teaching. It's very biblical and I want to be a Bible Christian. You say praise the Lord and do that. Those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin war within themselves. Those who cling to sin war against the truth and its representatives. So let's keep going here. What we are going to do now, when somebody asks, when you ask somebody, is there anything that would keep you from making that decision for Jesus today? Is there anything that would keep you from honoring His Sabbath? Is there anything that would keep you, is there anything that would make your, the temple of God, your body, defiled? Is there anything that would keep you from honoring God when it comes to the state of the dead? When somebody says, yeah, you know, uh, I, I can't keep the Sabbath because I would lose my job. And if you, if you get out a sheet of paper and you all put your email addresses on it, I'll send you these, these sheets that we're talking about here. What I have here in this sheet, in my old Bible here, you can see the remnants of where it used to be taped. Uh, but I used to have those things right there. I used to have that taped into my Bible right here when I first started giving Bible studies to people. And when somebody would not make that appeal, Steve, and somebody would make that excuse, I'd say, now what would keep you from honoring God's Sabbath? And they would say, well... Uh, I'm going to lose my job. I can't keep the Sabbath. I'm going to lose my job. I would say, you know, I went to a class on how to, to find, or I went to a class to find out how to give Bible studies. And they gave me a sheet of paper, and I taped that sheet of paper in the front of my Bible. And it has the most common excuses that people give for not wanting to follow what God is asking them to do. And so let's just look here, and I'll go over to that person, I'll sit next to them. And when it was in my Bible, you know, once you do it so many times, Steve, you don't have to look at this anymore because you've got those things lodged up here. I would go sit next to those people. I'd say, well, let's look at this. This is the sheet that contains all of the most common excuses, and beside those excuses are Bible verses that will let us know what God thinks about that excuse. 
you know, people are like, huh, God really has something to say about what I just said? Oh, yeah, I'm sure he does. Let's look. And so I'd find a text, and then I would turn to that text, and I would let them read it. And then, they, then I would ask again, is there anything that would keep you? And they would give me another excuse. And so you just keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going until finally, every time that somebody continues to give excuse after excuse after excuse, every time that has ever happened to me, eventually they'll say, well, it doesn't matter what excuse I give, God always has something to say about it. And I say, isn't it amazing that God cares about every aspect of our life? Now, is there anything that would keep you? Well, it doesn't matter because God will take care of it. And that's right. We had a, a man, his name is um, David. David Scott is his name. He and his wife joined our church. They were going to join our church in Sterling Heights, Michigan by profession of faith. Well, we have a prayer meeting on Thursday nights. This was the Thursday night before he was, come, he was going to be joined by profession of faith. And he comes to me and he says, Scott, I, I'm not going to be able to join the church this coming Sabbath. I said, well, what, what's going on, David? Tell me, tell me what's happening. He said, well, my boss told me this morning, it was Memorial Day weekend. He worked at a funeral, not a funeral home, but a cemetery. Very busy. Cemeteries are very busy on Memorial Day. And um, he said, my boss told me that if I don't come to work on Saturday, that I'm going to lose my job. I said, well, David, how do you feel about that? He said, well, I just... Mm, I can't, I can't afford to lose my job. I said, well, what is, what is God asking you to do? He said, well, I know that God wants me to honor his Sabbath. And I said, David, I want you to open your Bible to, to Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. We went over this in our last, our last class. This is where, well, why don't you read that for us, Steve? Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Okay, stop right there. So I said, David, tell me what Jesus is willing to do for you if you stay true to what he's asked you to do. He said, well, Scott, Jesus, Jesus is going to mention me to God. And it's, it's going to be positive. I said, all right, read the next verse. Go ahead, Steve. He said, Scott, I know what I'm going to do. I said, what? He said, well, I haven't talked to my wife about this. But I'm just going to tell my boss tomorrow that, that I can't work on Saturday. All the reasoning in the world would not have convinced David to keep the Sabbath. But God could. He goes into work the next morning. Yes, brother. Brother, as a pastor, I never asked anybody to fix Sabbath lunch or to prepare fellowship meal 
until the service was over. Why should you have to work and miss the blessing of the sermon when everybody could bring their food cooked and prepared and it just be set out on Sabbath afternoon? Well, how do you feel about it? Evidently, it must bother you a little bit because you're asking, right? Does it bother you to do it? Do you think Satan is the one that's bothering you? You don't know or you don't want to answer that directly? All right, open your Bible and go to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel, maybe it's first Samuel. First Samuel, chapter fifteen. Do what? Yes. First Samuel. Oh, thank you very much. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And what is your name, my friend? Jason. Jason. Okay, I have a boy named Jason. I should be able to remember that. All right, Jason, can you read verse 22? What's the rhetorical answer to that question, Jason? All right, now read the rest of it. To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. So if God is telling you, and let's face it, the devil wants you to be out of the church service, doesn't he? He does. So if God is telling you, Jason, and it has to be God speaking to you, making you or convicting you that you need to be in church rather than making lunch, who should you obey? Even if it goes against your culture? Okay, so Jason, who's, who's asking you or who is it that's convicting you 
or making you feel uncomfortable for being in there preparing that meal. Okay, so, so the question still remains, Jason. Who is it that is making you feel uncomfortable for doing that on the Sabbath? Okay, so then to answer the question directly, who is it that is convicting you? I think you're right. So then what should you do? But no, I'm wondering if it's like wrong. If it's like I'm sad. Like, like sometimes like I'm really like I'm like I'm on the service team, so like I do like sport, you know, like like for the family. I mean like like for like the Sabbath school. And so is it like wrong to do it on Sabbath? Like wrong to like cook and stuff? Are you convicted that you don't need to be doing it? Well, that's what God said in Exodus as well. Okay, so I'm still asking the question. Who is it that is convicting you that you shouldn't be doing it? Who is it that's making Jason uncomfortable? Okay, so now we're on to a different question. Now we're on to a different question. But the answer to your first question, and I want a one-word answer, who is it that is convicting you or making you feel uncomfortable that you shouldn't be doing that? A one-word answer. Okay, so I'm not going to be able to tell you whether that's right or wrong for you because when God is convicting you, to do something that his word has already said needs to be done. I can't contradict God's word. So now you're asking, what is work on the Sabbath? Work is anything you do that you normally do throughout the rest of the week that you could get done before Sabbath ever begins. Like, I've been, like, reading, like, Bible stuff. 
Are you tired after you sleep? Are you tired after you sleep? Yeah? Because you don't sleep that much? You stay up too late then. Or you get up too early. One of the two. When the Bible says, Thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. What does he mean by that? That's right. Okay, what did God say? I'm not really interested in what some guy says. What did God say? So if you feel convicted that doing a certain thing uh-huh. is work, then the best thing to do is to listen to the voice of God, isn't it? Jason, what is it that would keep you from listening to the voice of God? So you feel guilty for not helping out. Why don't you just ask him if you can come in on Friday and set things up? Then you don't have to feel guilty, nor do you have to be convicted that you're doing something on Sabbath that you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly not counsel anybody to set up fellowship meal during service. I don't think there's anything wrong with setting up fellowship meals. But I think that we, sh- we, could do, we should do everything we can to minimize preparation for a fellowship meal, for whatever. We should do everything we can prior to Sabbath to minimize what needs to be done on Sabbath. But if God's convicting you that you need to be in that service, then you need to be in that service. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about gaining a decision. So somebody gives you an excuse, you overcome that excuse with Scripture. Somebody gives you another excuse. Well, once you overcome that first excuse with Scripture, you ask them what would keep you. And then that person gives you their excuse, and then you overcome that with Scripture. And then, that, then you ask that person again, what is it that would keep you? And every time you ask the question of what is it that would keep you, you ask it just like you did the first time. You don't say, well, what now would keep you? Because every excuse somebody gives you is legitimate. Don't ever take the attitude of that's nothing compared with what I came out of, or that's nothing compared with what happened to me. Because every time the voice of God speaks to someone's conscience, it is a big deal for that person. Even if it's uh, something as simple as 
not drinking caffeine anymore. For you, you might have just given that stuff up like nobody's business. Like, oh, if the Lord doesn't want me to have that, I won't have that. For somebody else, it may be a real struggle. So you can't treat their excuses with disrespect. You have to treat their excuse as if it is the biggest ordeal in the world. And you just simply take them back to the Word of God. Well, you know, I went through a class, and during that class, they gave me this sheet of paper. And this sheet of paper has the most common reasons that people give for not being able to, to do what God is asking them to do. And you know, I'm very calm when I say it. The, the, way, the way that you look at people, the fact that you're looking people in the eyes, all of that adds emphasis to what you're saying. And you say, let's just look here together, and I'll sit beside that person. And let's see what God has to say about that. And I would literally just read down through there until we came to their excuse, and it's on there. Their excuse is on that sheet. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's there. And then you just go to the Bible verse, and you overcome that excuse with Scripture. Does that sound like it'd be fun to do, Danielle? We're going to try it right now, right here in class. You're going to get in groups of two. How much time do we have left here? 436. We have nine minutes. Praise the Lord. Nine. Yes. Go ahead, Veronica. No, now, did I mention coffee? I mean, sorry, caffeine. Okay. Okay, there's, there's a difference between confusion and conviction. Confusion means somebody doesn't have enough information. Just by the very fact, I don't know if this is a hypothetical situation or if this is true. Just by the fact that I said caffeine and not coffee, and then you said coffee, is an indication to me of conviction on drinking coffee. When, you, when you're giving Bible studies and you're overcoming excuses, it's very important that you and I use our ears. The expression on our face, you make them the focus of your attention, and you respond appropriately. Ear. And so you notice that I was very careful to listen to what you said. Because right when you said, you said, you mentioned something about coffee, I knew well and good that I didn't say the word coffee. What did I say? I said the word caffeine. So just by the fact that, that coffee was brought out, and again, I don't know if this is hypothetical or if this is real, just by the fact that you say that helps me to know that there's conviction. So you've got to be a good listener. You must be a good listener to be a good soul winner. So this is what I do. The other day I was studying with Ronnie and Alex, and I told those of you that were here earlier about Ronnie and Alex. They, they told me that, uh, that they wanted to know why they couldn't drink and smoke anymore. And so, you know, the drinking part was pretty easy because they're, they're lunatics when they <laughs> drink. They're just crazy. So then I got out a sheet of paper and I wrote this. I said, what is that? They said, morphine. I said, what are the last three letters? 
I-N-E. The ending of a drug's name puts it in a particular class. What about this? Dopamine. Or this one. And I wrote these three things down. I said, would you do this every day? No way. Of course, Alex is in a lot of pain, and Alex says, hey, look, morphine works real good for me. And he's got cancer just all throughout his body. I said, dopamine. Do you take dopamine every day? No, it's an addictive drug. So what about cocaine? No way would we do that. I said, what about this drug? They said, no way. I said, what about this one? They said, you're kidding. I said, kidding about what? They said, these things are the same as these? I said, what? Can you get addicted to morphine? What's the answer? Yes. yes. Can you get addicted to dopamine? No. Yes. Can you get addicted to cocaine? Yes. Can you get addicted to nicotine? Yes. Can you get addicted to caffeine? Yes. Absolutely. Does God want us to be controlled by something else? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Was Christ's mind controlled by something else? All of these are drugs, very addictive drugs. 70 cups of coffee in one day is a lethal dose of caffeine. Of course, nobody drinks 70 cups in one day. So instead of killing themselves at once, what are they doing? They're doing it little by little. Now, Steve, have you ever seen a dog that had its tail cut off? You know, the little puppy, it's born with this long, fluffy tail, and you take it to the vet, and they come out with a couple of stitches and no tail. You know, every time I've seen somebody do that, they cut off like an inch or two at a time, and you come back four or five times. Isn't that right? Do they cut off the, the, the puppy's tail just a couple of inches at a time? No. What do they do? They cut it off all at one time. Why? To do what? Well, why would they want to get it over with? Yeah, so doing it all at once is less painful, isn't it? That's why we need to get rid of this all at once. So when it comes to putting things into our body, sister, 1 Corinthians 3, and before I ever take anybody to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, I say, listen, do you really want to know what we're going to be talking about? Are you sure you want to know? The other day, Ronnie and Alex were like, or Alex is like, no, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. Then halfway through the study, he couldn't take it any longer. And he said, okay, tell me, tell me, tell me. And so we read this verse. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? He who defiles the temple of God, him will God destroy. And we read that, and they were just like, 
just like somebody just socked them in the gut. No, they're disobeying. They're still disobeying, even That's though right. they said they're not convicted of it. That's right. That's right. God, we do not have to feel convicted to understand the truth of God. We do not have to feel convicted to understand the truth of God. But when you and I can recognize that someone is under conviction, I mean, if somebody said to me, you know, I'm not convicted by that, I would say, who said you should be convicted? I would just turn it right back around on them. Because by the mere fact of them saying to me, I'm not convicted on that, I'd say, who said you should, be, you should be convicted? What is telling you that you should be convicted? The truth of God is telling you that you should be convicted. If you're not convicted and God's truth says to do it, go to Acts chapter... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter... Let's see. Hmm. <laughs> Looking for the text that says, oh, here it is, Acts chapter 5, verse 31. If we're not convicted... That means that we don't feel like we need to change, and that means that we are not repentant, doesn't it? You realize that repentance is a gift. If you and I recognize that God's Word is telling us not to do something, but we don't feel like we need to follow what God's Word is saying, then we need the gift of repentance for being rebellious. The very same text in 1 Samuel 15 says that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Mercy. And in the days of Samuel, what were they supposed to do to witches? Right? So here we are. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. It says, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. If God is showing us that something in His Word needs to... If God's Word tells us to do a particular thing or not to do a particular thing, and we don't feel like we should do a particular thing or shouldn't do a particular thing, then we need to get on our knees immediately and say, God, why don't I feel like I need to obey you? Please give me a spirit of repentance. And I can't tell you, Veronica, how many times people have said that, and you go right to Acts chapter 5 where it says repentance is a gift, and you say, listen, if God's Word says to do it, and we don't feel like we need to do it, something is dreadfully wrong on the inside. Every time you present the Bible study, you, you need to present it as an issue of life or death, because it is. I mean, they're either going to choose to serve Jesus Christ or the Antichrist. Every time we present a study, every time we call for a decision, it needs to be presented in the light of eternity. And when you present things in the light of eternity, you know, things get, uh, 
things get a lot more serious for people. I think we're out of time. I heard another class. Man, just when it's getting good. I guess we're not going to be able to bring each other to a decision until tomorrow. So come prepared with your Bible. I'll do my best to remember to uh, make some handouts and uh, bring you those sheets on decision because it's very important that you practice what we're learning. If you don't practice it, then when you get out there in the field, you'll be like, oh, I know he told us to do something. But if you actually get your hands into it and do it, you're going to learn a lot more. So if you're here tomorrow, then you'll get to experience that. Yes, go ahead, Jeff. All right, good stuff. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Jesus, we thank you again that we could be here this afternoon. Lord, we know how uncomfortable it is to be convicted, and yet how much better we feel, how much more confidence we have that you are our Savior when we give in to conviction and we follow your leading. So, Lord, we pray that you will lead us, that you will guide us, and that we will follow you all the way to the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, who didn't get a t-shirt yet? Small, medium, or large? All right. That might be, that might be. Well, you, you tell me. Yes, they're pre-shrunk. 50% cotton, 50% polyester. What size will it be, Steve? Ah, oh, praise the Lord. The second one's five bucks, so you don't want to take another one. <laughs> Give it to a later. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, bummer. Yeah, it'll be part of the email. Oh, yeah, that's right. What do you do for work? Oh, where at? Oh, very nice. Praise the Lord. You need this? Oh, yeah, you're, you're in a very enviable position. <laughs>